District of Conservation is sponsored by the Committee for a Constructive Tomorrow. CFACT. To learn more about our sponsor, head over to cfact.org. Thank you so much for listening to the program. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to District of Conservation. I'm your host, Gabriella Hoffman. This podcast offers a sober examination into all things hunting, fishing, shooting sports, energy, environment, and the public policy surrounding it. And this podcast also specializes in original interviews that you won't hear elsewhere. Here's what I have for you today. So Washington, D.C. is a swamp after all? I was told in both the literal and the figurative sense that's not the case, that I think only 2% of D.C.'s land is what can be considered a swamp or a wetland. But today I'm going to focus on this interesting article from Washington Post, very briefly, that gives legitimacy to the argument that DC is a swamp. The headline from Washington Post is called Underground Zombie Streams Threaten to Turn DC Back into a Real-Life Swamp. You might think, why is there such a headline during the Christmas season about something you would hear on Halloween, something so spooky? Nevertheless, this is what Washington Post decided to report on. This publication, as you very well know, is largely behind a paywall. Right now, as I'm reading this, I don't have the paywall sign preventing me from scanning this and reading this for me. But you click on the link, you're like, okay, wow, they have this really kind of alarmist headline. And there's something a little more muted, a little less scary sounding in the headline. The nation's capital built on water struggles to keep from drowning. And this is an interesting, like kind of clickable, a glimpse into DC's founding. Let's peruse through this. So when you click on this article, and again, it's probably behind a paywall for you. So I'm going to read a little snapshot of it for you. This is the shoreline George Washington would have seen in 1791 when he chose the site for the nation's new capital. It was a land of wetlands, marshes, and creeks. It's a cool graphic. Horse-drawn carts carried crushed rock from the construction site of the capital. Nearby quarries and sediment dredged from the Potomac River. The fill was compacted to create the land where the National Mall sits today. I believe when they constructed the most recently added museum, the African American History Museum, excavators had unearthed at the site of the museum in 2012 was not only the long forgotten topography of the nation's capital, but a subterranean genealogy that two centuries later determines the city's vulnerability to catastrophic flooding as climate change intensifies storms, rainfall and sea level rise. Of course, they're going to insert that. Let's go more into this. So personal treasures and the homes and businesses of Washingtonians living atop historical buried streams across the city are regularly inundated with raw sewage and filthy water. 
urban floods can be fatal, as in August when 10 dogs drowned inside a kennel on Rhode Island Avenue Northeast, a location with a decades-old flood history. While federal Washington is best known for its neoclassical buildings and white marble monuments, the District of Columbia is actually a low-lying delta city like New Orleans, but one constructed on top of settling rock and rubble fill. The buildings that make up the Federal Triangle sit on land reclaimed from Tiber Creek. Once a few hundred feet wide, the creek ran along what is now Constitution Avenue and drained much of Washington into the Potomac. The plan for the new capital city turned Tiber Creek into a canal, but that attempt to harness nature backfired because the waterway was often choked with sediment, pollution, and sewage. To improve sanitation, the city covered Tiber Creek and created a sewer. And now, this was from the 1800s, now they move into the 2020s. Buried but not vanished, the underground streams and canals became part of a permanent high-water table in the downtown area known decades later as the Federal Triangle. You all have probably been here. And then they talk more in this article. Then there's the water that comes from the Potomac Watershed, where the rain falling on the 14,690-square-mile region travels as far away as the Appalachian Mountains in West Virginia, down the streams of the Piedmont's Hard Rock, past the Atlantic Fall Line, onto the sandy Atlantic Coastal Plain. From there, it flows into the Potomac River and then the Chesapeake Bay, all the way down to the Atlantic Ocean. They say that before colonization, when Native American tribes lived here, rainfall was naturally absorbed along its journey to the ocean by marshes and streams. Once European settlers began clearing and grading the land for farming, though, the ground became less permeable. Erosion and runoff carried massive quantities of sediment downstream and deposited them into mudflats along the banks of the Potomac River. A few centuries later, the Army Corps engineers reshaped them into the reflecting pool, tidal basin, and adjoining parkland. Fast forward to the 21st century, a heavy downfall on top of a high water table in an area already known as or an already low-laying area such as the Federal Triangle can cause the water to come back up from the ground, according to one geologist at the University of Maryland, and then a series of floods resulted. So flooding has been very common. So if you live here in the D.C. area, I live in Northern Virginia, on the side that gets a lot of flooding. Old Town, Alexandria gets a lot of flooding. If you don't know, D.C. also floods. So flooding has been happening here for at least a century. That's what the article's pointing to, and that's truthful. So a century of flooding, and they said the result was the first museum on the National Mall to listen to what nature is telling us about coexisting on the planet in the era of climate change. Builders hauled in loads of fill to lift the building, the museum in question, ground level 15 feet above the rest of the mall. To protect the five stories underground, the African-American Museum's basement has double walls eight feet apart from each other, and a wall is coated with a waterproof skin. Between the two walls, gravel and light concrete absorb any water that might seep in. The two walls are capped with another waterproof barrier. The lawn surrounding the museum's above-ground bronze crown is actually a grass roof installed to absorb water, and they're meaning the African-American Museum. The state-of-the-art flood wall protects the museum's Achilles heel as the entrance to the underground loading dock, the lowest part of the building. Other Smithsonian museums in or near the 100-year floodplain are slowly being retrofitted with flood protection. A new floodgate is up at the National Air and Space Museum. The chronically flooded Hirshhorn Museum and Sculpture Garden is getting its first stormwater system. 
and the National Museum of American History, the most vulnerable of Smithsonian museums, according to WAPO, will get two cisterns and higher floodgates and send its basement-level collection to Suitland, Maryland for storage. Under the worst climate case scenario, they write, the American History Museum could find itself beyond protection of the 17th Street levee and under 16.3 feet of water, according to the Army Corps engineers and the D.C. Climate Projections and Scenario Development Report. Okay, then. A sinking capital faces rising waters. That is one of the next sections as you dive into this piece. So they talk about the tidal basin, which is susceptible to flooding too. It was completed in 1897. Water has risen four feet over the past century, one foot from rising seas and three feet from the sinking foundation built on fill, according to the National Park Service. But in the next 30 years alone, sea levels will rise another foot, tripling the rate of the previous 100 years, according to the National Oceanic Atmospheric Administration. So you can expect, according to this report, more floods when you want to visit the cherry blossoms during the springtime. They said the last time there was such a removal came during the construction of Jefferson Memorial and some Washington society ladies had chained themselves to the cherry trees in 1938 in what is known as the cherry tree rebellion to replant cherry blossoms that were first gifted from Japan. Um, The first were 2000 trees imported from Japan in 1910. And then a couple years later, 3,200 trees. And then another 3,800 trees were offered to, Lady Bird Johnson's beautification of the national capital in 1965. So they are a symbol of peace and friendship between Japan and the United States. And obviously, as you all know, Cherry Blossom Festival draws lots of people to our area. And they talk more so in this article about the tidal basin channel waters from the Potomac River and Chesapeake Bay through mechanical gates under the inlet bridge that open at high tide to let water in, then route to the Washington Channel on the opposite side as the water moves. It flushes out sediment and dirt, keeping the channel navigable. And they say a new seawall will save the tidal basin for now, but will not solve the larger troubles looming beyond the cherry trees. They write that the Federal Triangle, which is 25 minutes away by walking, is prone to flood during heavy rain because the ground can't absorb much water. Instead, water pools and the streets before rushing chaotically to whatever gravity digs, drags it. rather. So they talk a lot about flooding in this piece. And if you get a chance to read it, it's very long. And I don't want to bore you with any more details of this. But they plan to build more, I guess, levees and seawalls and higher infrastructure. Okay, now to the part where they actually talk about zombie creeks coming alive because that's some interesting information. Now let's actually bring you to a portion about zombie creeks. The article goes on to say, on the morning of September 10th, 2020, the creeks and streams that President Ulysses S. Grant's administration corralled into civilized wastewater system trickled quietly, dormant, and undead. By 3.40 p.m., however, a fierce atmospheric river of moisture from the tropics had dumped six inches of rain in some D.C. neighborhoods in just 70 minutes. Like underwater zombies, the historical waterways swelled under the Edgewood, Bloomingdale, and East Corner neighborhoods, gathering power and speed until finally forcing themselves to the surface via manhole covers, catch basins, shower drains, and toilets. Water from the old Tiber Creek, the same one construction crews hit, 
while digging the basement of the African-American Museum, picked up city runoff and sweeped into the 801 restaurant and bar on Florida Avenue Northwest. Atop a buried tributary of the Anacostia River, the rising waters flooded some two dozen homes in the northeast neighborhood of Riggs Park. Some residents were prepared but defeated by the volume. This is the incident they alluded to where they claimed that 10 dogs had perished because of floodings from these zombie creeks. Essentially, so it can be, I guess, surmised now that D.C. is a swamp, despite different reports, even a earlier Washington Post report in 2014 that said only 2% of the city might be considered a swamp. So there you have it. Read this article, judge for yourself if D.C. is a swamp, especially a swamp home to zombie creeks. Metaphorically speaking, yes, it is a swamp because of the people this area does invite and some of the behaviors it invites, like a swamp-like mentality, people beholden to entrenched interests. But now we have confirmation, according to this report. A lot of it was pretty alarmist. I mean, some of it was very interesting research, but I could have done without kind of the climate stuff. Like, I just wanted to hear the facts about stormwater, drainage, sewer water. Like, they could have just said that instead of lumping it in with the climate crisis or the climate crisis narrative and not lose readers like me with that. But interesting report nonetheless. We like to cover this type of stuff here as it relates to District of Columbia, since we are kind of named after D.C. In a sense, it's a play on District of Columbia, District of Conservation. Thanks for listening to District of Conservation. If you enjoyed what you heard today, go leave us some reviews on Apple and Spotify or wherever podcasts are played. Your feedback will help us reach more people. And I love to know what is on your mind after each episode. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to never miss a beat or a guest announcement because that is our way of updating all of you listeners. And we have just hit a thousand followers on Instagram for the podcast account. Thank you very much. And if you have any guest suggestions or topics you want to hear on the show, I'm all ears. I would love to hear your feedback there. Thanks for listening and stay tuned for the next episode.